Well, good morning, everyone. I didn't realize until Darren said it had been 13 years ago that I was here. I used to be dark-haired and uh, about four inches taller than I am now, but time takes its toll on everyone. Glad to see you here this morning. How many of you have already started Christmas shopping or thinking about Christmas shopping? I don't think I saw a single male hand raised at that point. <laughs> it's interesting how we go from Halloween and we just kind of jump right over Thanksgiving into Christmas. And you know, the stores portray Halloween and then there's a turkey that's just a little bit of that and then it goes right into all the Christmas fanfare and so forth. And just yesterday I was looking at my reminder and I thought, I haven't really thought about what I'm going to get Kim for Christmas, but I want to get her something really special. I know if you have loved ones, you're always looking for that, just that very, very special gift that will, the person will treasure over some period of time. Well, this morning I want to share with you a message on the gift of time. A time is really an incredibly precious commodity. Listen to this illustration. It'll help us understand what we're talking about. I want you to imagine that there's a bank that credits your account each morning with $86,400. It carries over no balance from day to day. Every evening it deletes, it wipes out whatever part of the balance that you failed to use during that day. What would you do? I know what I would do. I would draw out every cent at the end of the day. Each one of us has such a bank. It's called time. Every morning we are credited with 86,400 seconds. Every night. It writes off as lost whatever you have failed to invest wisely. It carries over no balance. It allows no overdraft. Yet each day, it opens a new account for you. If you fail to use today's deposit, then the loss is yours. There's no going back. There's no drawing against tomorrow. You and I must live in the present on today's deposit. Invest it. And every opportunity the Lord gives us for the clock is ticking. You and I have got to make the most of every moment beginning right here and right now. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, and we have some young people in here, I thought I had all the time in the world to do everything I wanted to do. But how come many of you can attest that as you grow older, time gets faster, doesn't it? It's amazing when we look back at where did the time go? I have a lot of friends who are professionals and a lot of pastors and ministry people, but it doesn't really matter. A lot of people that I know are very, very busy people. And one of the commonalities of what they share is that they claim there's just not enough time in the day to get everything done that they want to get done. Can you say the same thing? These people tend to be overcommitted and in a perpetual state of hurry. And I just wonder, is that what God wants for us? Well, several years ago, John Ortberg, some of you may have heard of him, he used to be with Willow Creek, and then he moved on, and he has a separate ministry. Now, but he contacted a mentor of his, and John asked, he said, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? Now, that's a good question, isn't it? And his mentor responded, listen, you must, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Because hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Oh, when I heard about this, I can't believe there's a guy who actually wrote a book called You Must Eliminate, Ruthlessly Eliminate Hurry from Your Life. His name is John Mark Comer. 
And I read this from his book. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to people, and even to your own soul. And he went on to write, Love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life. And all three of these are incompatible with hurry. You ever feel like you're in a perpetual state of hurry? That your life is just constantly busy? Well, if you would turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. I'm just going to exegete this quick little passage right here and then make some application for us this morning. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of our time. The, the King James would say, redeeming the time, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Now, when we read the word time, time means time to us, and there's a lot of variations of what it means. And Paul, in the Greek, had two choices for what use he would use the word time. There was the word chronos, which is basically just a general reference to time, and then there's kairos. Kairos is what he used, and it refers to a specific determined amount of time that is fixed. By choosing this Greek term kairos, Paul reminds us that we have a limited amount of time in this life. And as I've said, the older we grow, the quicker it goes by. But the amount of time God has ordained for us is already set. 24 hours a day, 86,400 seconds. So Paul admonishes us, he encourages us. Uh, he says, listen, make the best use of your time. Which means to be intentional. To make every minute count. For the Lord Jesus. I have tried to live by this, especially since I have looked at this passage and preached it in different churches at different times, is at the end of the day, when I look back and say, did I make the best use of my time? Or is there some things I could have and should have done differently? And I'm sure most of us say, there's probably some things I could. But the thing is for me, I always believe there will be tomorrow and I'll try to do better the next day. I'll try to fix whatever it is. But Paul said something here profound. He said, for the days are evil. Now, we're living in a time where evil is growing all over the world in ways like I've never seen in my lifetime. There's chaos in the world. There's so much disunity in the world and upheaval in the world. And Paul, what he's referring to is that Satan will do everything he can to prevent you and I from being good stewards of the time that God has given us. In other words, he wants to do everything he can to keep us from investing in the things that will matter most. Busyness is one of his most important tools of his arsenal. So this morning, we're going to go look at three devastating effects that busyness has on our ability to make the best use of our time. First of all, busyness hinders our relationship with God. If you'll take your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Luke 10, 38 through 42. A very familiar story. The story of Mary and Martha. Verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him to her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. 
But the Lord answers her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled for many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So Jesus is coming to dinner, and what does Martha do? She gets busy making dinner. What's wrong with that? I think it's admirable. She's got a special guest. But unfortunately, due to preparing the meal and being so inundated with the preparation of that meal to make sure it was just right, she was distracted from spending time literally at the feet of Jesus. That's what Mary was doing. And as Martha realized what Mary was doing, she complained to the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine that, by the way? She tattletailed on her sister to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, Mary's not helping. Would you do something about it? And I can just see Jesus with a smile on his face kind of laughing. I was like, Martha, Martha, let's get real here. Your sister Mary, what she's doing is of utmost importance. She's spending time with me. While you're doing what's admirable, Martha, but this is more important. Someone once said, and this really hit me, where you invest your time reveals your priorities. If you say my family is my priority, then I need to see how much time am I spending with my family. Or if I'm saying my, my relationship with Jesus and my church is the most important thing to me, then how does that reflect in your time? For a lot of us, we say, well, it does, but not as much as it will someday. I'll get to that in just a minute about being presumptuous. Ronald Rothheiser wrote this. We live in a culture of or pathological busyness which requires us to be in a perpetual state of hurry. Now, I know as we have three grown children, they're in the millennial age, and the millennials have no concept of time. Sorry. They leave this much margin. We say to our daughter, hey, listen, you need to be there in a half an hour. She gives herself 28 minutes. Oh, heaven forbid she should run into a red light or a traffic stop. But they live on the edge of time constantly and chronically. They're in a perpetual state of busyness. They make fun of me. I'm a grandpa now. I drive the speed limit plus a few miles over than that. But I'm not 20 or 30 over. And they say, Dad, you know, you drive slow. No, I'm just obeying the law, and I'm not in a hurry. If I, now, tomorrow, Kim and I are flying out to Pennsylvania. This is my wife, Kim. And our flight leaves at 7. And she said to me, Scott, we need to be at the airport by 4 in the morning. Now, that's a little bit too much. I believe in a little bit of margins, but there's a... There's a, there's a point. She probably will have me there for a <laughs> Listen to this. Jesus was busy, but he was never in a hurry. He did not allow the needs of even the people and the crowds or the culture to cause him to rush into a pace that was not set by God. Hmm. You know, as long as we're overloaded, overcommitted, our ability to have an intimate, abiding relationship with Christ is going to be greatly hindered. What do you think is the most common excuse people give for not spending time with the Lord? I don't have enough, don't have enough time. I believe, listen, I believe that God gives you enough time every day, listen, to get done what He wants you to get done. So if you go through your day and you didn't get everything done that you wanted to get done, God did give you enough time to get the things that he wanted you to get done, completed. I want you to think about that a little bit. So know what that means? If I didn't get everything done today that I intended to get done, it means my priorities and God's priorities were not properly aligned, or else I would have got everything done 
and had time to watch Duke lose last night, as it turned out. So let's be honest. What gets neglected when we're in a hurry, when we're overcommitted, and when we're too busy? Reading the Bible, studying the Bible, family devotions, praying, serving God in His church, and worshiping. I'm a, I've been a pastor now for 23 years, and I can say I still struggle with this. I still struggle with making sure that I've carved out time to get some intimate time to worship the Lord in private because ministry is so busy, it never stops. And sometimes, if you're like me, we go through the motions. We'll get out our, our Bible, our daily Bible, and read that for today, November 12th, and we'll check the box. We did it. But it, did it ever take root in our heart? Did it change us? Are we more like Jesus because of it? Did we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and change us? Woodrow Crowe, who used to be the speaker for Back to the Bible, if you remember Woodrow, he said this, if we read God's word today and don't think about it, which means study, pray it back to him or internalize it, which is to meditate on it, or memorize it, we'll just be chewing, out those, we'll just be chewing on those precious words and then we spit them out. What he said is we need to metabolize God's word so it becomes a part of how we think, how we respond, in short, who we are. To me, it's no different than if you have a delicious lunch today and you chew on it, you're enjoying it, but you spit it out, there's no nutritional value. It will not benefit you at all. It will not help you grow and be strengthened. Well, we have, sometimes we have good intentions. I, I want to do these. I mean to do these. Have you noticed that something always gets in the way? A phone call, a baby crying, or something comes up and keeps us, prevents us from abiding in Christ at that deeper level. Why is this? Going back to Ephesians 5.16, Satan will always make sure you have something else to do or something else that's consuming your thoughts. So what can we do to prevent busyness from hindering our relationship with the Lord Jesus? It really comes down to a simple thing, plan. We need to plan time each day to commune with the Lord and to guard it, to protect it, to set it aside so that we're not distracted by Satan and so that other things don't come up that we allow to consume the time we would have been spending with the Lord. So we've seen how busyness hinders our relationship with the Lord. Secondly, busyness hinders our relationship with family. Families these days are falling apart by the seams. One of the catalysts to that was COVID. Uh, my wife has worked at the Carolina Counseling Center for uh, like 17 years, and Linda's been her her supervisor then at a time, and they had a massive boost during COVID because all of a sudden the family had to spend too much time together and they weren't used to it. They didn't know how to deal with it, and a lot of them didn't realize how they could relate properly to one another. So John Comer wrote this, I thought was good. Hurry and love are incompatible. All my worst moments as a father, as a husband, and as a pastor, even as a human being, are when I was in a hurry. So two points inside of this one. First, busyness is detrimental to marriages. I do a lot of counseling for marriages, especially premarital and young married couples. That's where I'm certified and enjoy. That's one of my passions. And I notice in these couples, along with others, that overcommitment and exhaustion are taking place. Being overcommitted and exhausted are the most subtle yet pervasive marriage killers that you'll ever encounter as a couple. I have a question. For those of you who are married, and if you're not married, put this in your pocket for later. Do you ever feel to give your spouse your very best, but instead you give him or her what's left over? 
I can tell you this, a marriage cannot survive or thrive on leftovers. Research, recent research has found out that an, on average, couples spend less than three minutes in meaningful conversation in a typical day. How can you build a thriving relationship on three minutes? You know, sometimes we come home, we get together after a day of work with us. Hi, how was your day? It was fine. How was your day? It was fine. What are the kids doing? What's the schedule? What's the weather? That's not meaningful conversation. What about getting down to an emotional level? Hey, how are you doing? Tell me something happened today that made an effect on you, either good or bad. Entering in beyond the superficial. You see, it's critical. God commands husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And we know that Christ gave his life for the church, men. And if he gave his life for the church as an example, don't you think we ought to do more than give our spouse, our wife, what's left over? Sometimes we're too busy. This is one of the biggest complaints I hear. A woman will say, my, my husband never gives me his undivided attention. He's always distracted when I'm talking to him. He's not paying attention. If I was to quiz him right now, he would fail to quiz because he's not listening intently to what I have to say. Women and men, as husband and wife, we have to spend focused time on one another, pouring into each other, listening to each other, growing deeper in the bonds of love with one another. And I want to share with you something that's absolutely mind-blowing. Being intentional to pray together is the greatest deterrent to marital discord. You've heard the phrase, the family that prays together stays together. Well, as part of my doctoral research for my dissertation, this is one of the areas I study. And listen to this. Couples who pray together regularly have a divorce rate that ranges from 1 out of 100 to 1 out of 10,000. Now, the national divorce rate, even for Christians, is 1 out of 2. So I would say even 1 out of 100 is a whole lot better than 1 out of 2. What's the difference? Me, my wife, and Christ communing together. They're praying together on a daily basis. It's the best deterrent to marital discord and divorce. I can tell you this, in all the years I've been counseling, about 25 years as a pastoral counselor, not a licensed counselor, every couple I ask who comes to me, one of the first questions I ask is, tell me how often you pray together. And guess what the answer is? Zero. 25 years, zero. And so that's always where I start. But let's move on. Second, busyness is detrimental to children. Ephesians 6, 4, a verse you're familiar with, says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, let me say, in this passage, it is pertaining specifically to fathers because the father is the spiritual leader of the home. But as Paul was talking about here, it also is meaningful and represents the responsibilities of the wife under the headship of the father. George Barnard wrote this, The lives of each family member are usually so jam-packed that the opportunity to spend time together doing unique activities like talking about life, visiting special places, playing games, and sharing spiritual explorations have to be scheduled, yet so few do. Bill Walton, the co-founder of Holiday Inn, not the basketball star, he said this, and it's so sad, I helped build one of America's great corporations but in order to do so, I arrived at the office by 7 at morning and never left before 10 in the evening. Then his lip quivered as he was answering this reporter, and he said, I never saw a single Little League baseball game. You see, parents, research has shown that children 
whose parents spend time with them have a decreased need to adopt the behaviors and the values of others. As a result, they're more resistant to peer pressure. Parents, you may not realize this, but it's not the TV or the internet or social media. You and I as parents are the greatest, have the greatest influence on our children. You may think not, but you still do. Oh, then there's a story I read of a man who, came, it was coming up to Christmas time, and he thought, what should I get my child? And so he wrote a note and put it in a present and wrapped it. And the little boy opened the package and looked at the note, and it says, son, my gift to you is to spend one hour after dinner with you each day for the next 365 days. That changed that child's life. Fathers, I want to encourage you in something that I've experienced through my life and learned I want to pass along to you. If you have daughters, men, you need to love on them. Young girls who don't feel loved by their fathers will find it in places they don't belong, especially with other young boys. If you have sons, spend time with them, pour into them, be a part of their lives. Most boys who get in trouble with the law, with the law have a common denominator, a strained relationship with their fathers. What about if you have multiple children? We have three. I recommend two. <laughs> when we had two, Lindsay and Heather could split, and we just say, okay, you get this one, I'll get this one. But then Caleb came along unexpectedly, and so we had to decide which two to chase, we took the slower two. <laughs> but one thing I've done as in my parenting years that I just want to encourage you is I took my children out one-on-one. -on -one. I dated my daughters, and my daughters in their 30s, I still go on daddy daughter dates with them. I still want to pour into them. I still want to know, let them know that I'm here for them. It is so important that as fathers, we spend time with our daughters and time with our sons. And sometimes when you've got more than one, I hear there's a family who's got six of them, uh, good luck. <laughs> i got to tell this one other story. I don't want to, this is such a good story. There's a little boy who was really struggling with his father. His father was always busy, diligent, trying to make and provide for the family. And he went up to his father and said, Daddy, how much money do you make an hour? His father said, well, that's a ridiculous question. Why are you even asking? He said, Daddy, please, please tell me how much do you charge or how much do you make an hour? And his dad said, $20, and I'll be gone. And the little boy, before he went, he said, Daddy, can, can I borrow $10 before I go? And the dad said, why? What do you want to do with it? He goes, Dad, can I just, just, can I just borrow $10? said, here, and he sent him away. The little boy came back a little, uh, a little bit later, and he said, Dad, Dad, he knocked on his door, and Dad said, come on, and he said, Daddy, Daddy, you, you gave me $10, and I had $10, now I've got $20, can I have an hour of your time? How sad. But that is so reflective of the culture we live in. So in order to protect our families, we've got to graciously but firmly decline the, act, decline the activities and the uh, demands that compete with spending time with our family. So what can we do to prevent busyness from hindering a relationship with our families? That's so simple, and you know this. Pray together daily. Make it a priority. Worship together regularly. Here's one you're not going to know. Eat meals together. I grew up in a time, and I don't know how many, how many of you used to eat on TV trays watching television? And the choice of three channels, is, you know, and I was always the channel changer. They didn't need one of these. It was Scott, go ahead and change the channel for me about 25 feet away. This is, this is, this is super important. Research has shown that eating as a family at least three times a week significantly reduces a child's likelihood to end up on drugs. It also reduces the rate of teen suicide, depression, teen pregnancy, and poor academics. Can you believe that? Just eating meals together. So I know the luck around here is several of you, or many of you are grandparents. Try to instill this in your children and let them try to instill it in their children. It's that in time just to spend together. Date your spouse. 
Well, one of the questions I asked couples who come to me, they said, when's the last time you've been on a date? And they said, define date. I said, okay, you've already failed. <laughs> Play and interact with your kids and grandkids. We have the chance to pour into our grandchildren, and what a joy it is. In fact, I like grandchildren so much, I wish I had them first. <laughs> Be the spiritual example for your children. Here's a question. How would you feel if your children turned out just like you? Set the example that you want them to follow. And then lastly, slow down. Learn to relax. Time is fleeting by. Make memories. I believe we take our memories to heaven with us. So we've looked at the first two. We've looked at how business hinders our relationship with the Lord and our family. Thirdly and quickly, business presumes there will always be a tomorrow. We just read from James chapter 4 13 about the brevity of life, how our life is just a vapor but that it will disappear. But let me tell you, life is fragile. All you have to do is listen to the news or read a newspaper, whatever. There's so much going on in the world, and we always think, I will have tomorrow. Have you already got plans for tomorrow? Have you already got plans for lunch today? If you do, you're being presumptuous. Who knows? Jesus could come back right now. We'd be done before this message is finished. He could come back tomorrow. The way the world's going, it could be any time. But we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. On October 7th, 1,400 Jews woke up that morning with plans, and their plans were abruptly ended by the massacre that took place in Israel. And then October 25th, 18 people, who some in the bowling alley, some in the club eating dinner, had plans that day and plans for the night and the next day, but their lives were snuffed out by a radical gunman. We can certainly go back to 9-11. Over 3,000 people went to work that day in the Twin Towers, like any other day, with their plans and preparation for the next day, for that evening, some with great plans, some with plans that need to reconcile regrets. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. The psalmist is urging us to seek godly wisdom regarding the use of the time that God gives us so we won't put off what's really important. You see, countless people live with regrets. Think about it. You may have regrets. I know I have regrets. And the problem is when we presume that there'll be a tomorrow to, to make memories or to have fun or to reconcile a broken relationship or to tell somebody that we love them or to serve the Lord, these presumptions are going to become a problem for us. God is not the God of tomorrow. He's not the God who is I will be. He's not the God of the past, I was. He is the I am, the God who is in the current day and time. So what can we do to prevent busyness from presuming there will be tomorrow? Folks, don't take your spouse, your family, or your friends for granted. I'm guilty of that, are you? Tell them you love them, and here's the key, show it. When women were asked, would you rather have your husband show he loves you or tell you, guess which one they pick? Show me. Show me. Request and grant forgiveness. You may be at odds with somebody. You have an unreconciled relationship. You say, someday, sometime, I'll either grant forgiveness or request forgiveness. Don't put it off. You may never have that opportunity. Reconcile any relationships that are broken, especially among your family members, close friendships. And in like manner, don't take your relationship with Jesus for granted. Boy, we sure do that so many times. Spending time with Jesus, praying with Him and for Him, with Him and serving Him and worshiping. We take this, forget. there'll be another day to worship. There'll be another day to pray. Maybe not. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to bring you the reality that James says our life is but a vapor and it's just gone. We cannot put off to tomorrow what we need to do today. So invest the time that the Lord gives you to glorify Him and to bless others. And let me close with this. 
You say, well, I'll need to find time for doing such and such. You will never find time. You have to make time for the things that are important, the things and be intentional to set aside that I will do this and I will not let anything get in the way. Time is a precious commodity from God, as I've explained. I have a question before we leave. Is Are you making the most of every moment? If you were to die today, would you have any regrets regarding the use of the time that God has given to you? John Orberg wrote this quote. He said, for most of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, is that we'll become so distracted, so rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. This morning, I just want to encourage you to maybe make or renew a commitment to the Lord, to your spouse, your family, your children, and to not take for granted or presume that there'll be a time to do this later. And if there's anyone here this morning, you've, been, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, maybe you've been putting it off. Today, the Word says, is the day of salvation. Don't put off today the most important decision of your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. It is a gift from you. And God, time is a precious commodity. And God, so many times we take each other for granted, we take you for granted. And God, we just want this morning hear from your Holy Spirit to speak into us that we might be given a heart of wisdom how to schedule our days. Not always planning forward and thinking that there'll be another day to, to resolve something that needs to be resolved or to spend time or to tell someone we love them. So God, I know you've spoken to my heart and I try to live that today might be my last day and I don't want to go out without any regrets. So God, we pray for this church. God, we pray for everything that's going on here that in all things you would be glorified. Your spirit would speak in through each and every person here and the leadership team that's here. And God, we most of all pray that in each one of our lives we'll reflect the love and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And thank you for the gift of this day. It is precious. And I'm thankful to be with these wonderful people. We want to honor and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.